HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN. This week on Meet and 3, we dedicate our stories to elders, grandparents, and family members who came before us. Some people called on the phone. What time is your appointment? Mine's 2.45. Our friend, the dentist, he, he was 3.30. And it was like a social event. It's a small island. A lot of them I knew when I was a kid. So it was, you know, to really help them feel like they, they weren't alone. It's partly this communal nature of food. And so it can operate as a bridge, um, not just between neighbors and friends, but also between the living and the dead. Listen to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, April 13th, 2021. And recording remotely. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. And we're doing a special show about Vermont. And uh, the backstory is for me, Vermont, everything always seemed to be clean and pure, and the ingredients were better than anywhere else, in particular New York. And this is going back 10, 15 years. And we've seen so many changes in, in the local ingredients that are available for beer, in particular hops and grains. So we're going to have a, a focused talk about. Uh, Vermont hops today. So let's go through and everyone quickly introduce yourself. Please say your name and where you work. Start with Bob. I'm Bob Grimm. I work down here at Foam Brewers and uh, one of the partners and co-founders. And um, I work at the original location right on the waterfront in Burlington. Great. Sam? My name is Sam Keen. Um, I work at our, uh, I'm with Foam Brewers. I work at our, um, also one of the co-founders and, um, and partners here. Uh, currently the head brewer at our production facility in Hinesburg, Vermont. Great. Julian? My name is Julian Post. I'm a, a co-founder of the farm Champlain Valley Hops in Starksboro, Vermont, and I'm also the farm manager here. And Max? My name is Max Licker, um, and I am the sales manager for Champlain Valley Hops in Starksboro, Vermont. Okay, so we got the introductions done with. This is a pretty cool show. So Max reached out to me. Uh, we have a, a good friend from Heritage Radio Network who's now a journalist up in Burlington, 
uh, Jordan Barry, and uh, she's connected us to quite a lot of, of Vermont folks. So, Max, you know, you went to NYU Food Studies, and you've got quite a background. Just tell us how you landed at Champlain Valley Hops. So I'm always looking for uh, cool and interesting jobs in the in the food world um, and the agriculture world. Uh, I've bounced around a lot. Um, I've always thought that Vermont would be a great place to live. Um, and when I uh, find out uh, I got to move here, um, I was searching around uh, for opportunities and I got connected with uh, Peter Briggs, who actually graduated, whose wife graduated from the same NYU food studies as me. Uh, they were uh, looking for someone to help sell their hops that they had just grown. And I thought that I could be the right person for that job. Wow. Well, that brings up the first thing I want to talk about. We're not going to go exactly in order, but um, with Julian, how do you create a market for that? I mean, was when you guys tell us how you started, because I always thought that everything was grown in Vermont, but apparently it wasn't, right? Yeah, you know, the hop industry is a, is super interesting and and niche, I guess, is kind of the word for it. Um, there are 60,000 acres of hops in the whole country, um, which there's probably as many acres of corn grown in the county of Vermont that we're in. Um, but the U.S. actually produces 40 percent of the world's hops. So I usually I like to say that just a little bit of hops goes a long way. And basically that really small acreage has such a huge impact on beer, obviously. Um, and and so in Vermont, uh, and, and then the other kind of relevant piece of information on hop growing in the U.S. is that 98 or 99% of hops uh, in the U.S. are grown in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. Um, and so that little sliver of a 1% is what covers the Northeast and Michigan, which are kind of the other... Uh, main hop growing areas. So we are um, kind of pioneers on on this side of of uh, the country. Uh, Vermont and New York used to be the largest hop growing states in like the mid 1800s before prohibition. Um, and so we're not we're not starting over. You know, we're not starting from scratch here, but we are kind of starting over because there haven't been hops here for 100 years. We've lived through that in following New York the last 10 years. We've seen just, you know, how this, the whole small small hop industry got jump-started. Um, but I wasn't familiar with, with Vermont. I mean, I can't believe you guys didn't get started till like 2018. Yeah, so, and this is, uh, you know, getting off on a little bit of a tangent, but the for the three years preceding uh, the start, the founding of this farm, I worked for the University of Vermont. Um, as a researcher, and and uh, I worked for a woman named Heather Darby, who is um, a pioneer in in bringing back or kind of um, evolving a lot of a lot of innovative crops in Vermont. And so I uh, did the hop research for her, um, and and by the end of that time, I felt confident enough that this was a good idea, uh, and and really in large part. And we can talk about our relationship with foam, but this is, they are really the only people that are, um, that we should be talking about this history with, because really the, um, we started working together when I worked at UVM and, and because they've been so interested in, in local, 
um, since the very beginning of of their brewery, we've we've been able to learn together how to brew with local hops, what's um, special and unique about them, and we're we're getting better and better and getting more information over time about that. Um, but it started really, you know, as a research yard um, at the university, and then now has evolved into a a farm, which is uh, our farm is is actually the largest hot farm in the Northeast. So you're the largest hot farm in the Northeast, but you're really pretty small, right? Yeah. So to give some context, the average farm size in the U.S. is about 700 acres, and and our farm is 37 acres of hops. So you got a long way to go. Let's go. I want to go to uh, Ben and Sam. I know you're together. What's cool about this show is that uh, 2019, we hosted an, an event in New York City, and we were looking for breweries in the Northeast that were working with local ingredients. And foam just popped up, and Todd Todd Hare came down with a sixth of something. So this is really uh, fortuitous. I've, I've really wanted to talk to foam for a while. So who wants to start, Ben or Sam? Just talk about your, you know, your commitment to local ingredients and how you how you start working with these guys it's bob but <laughs> uh, that's okay um yeah i mean uh we i think just from the beginning um you know from the business plan all the way up through you know it, it's been our ethos and um a priority of ours to focus on sourcing quality ingredients in general and uh you know within that uh vein we also wanted to source local ingredients. And luckily in Vermont, there's a lot of quality local ingredients, uh, including hops. And um, we, we really have spent a lot of time and energy uh, creating connections with farmers and producers uh, in our community and incorporating that into the beers that we're brewing down here, um, whether it's a hoppy beer or a, you know, a fruited beer, uh, you know, mixed culture, um, Saison, all sorts of different things. Um, we've we've utilized all different types of ingredients, um, herbs, fruit, uh, grain, and hops, and um, we've created some pretty interesting beers out of those uh, local ingredients. And it's been uh, it's been pretty fun and exciting to take these these uh, ingredients that these you know all all of this stuff that we can get from our local ag economy and um, turn it into something that people can enjoy in a glass, you know, beer. And uh, especially on the scale that we're doing it, we're relatively small, um, but we are, our model is really having people come to us and experience uh, the, the beer the way that we want them to experience it, which is usually down here uh, on the waterfront of Burlington. It's a, if, if you've been here, you would know it's a beautiful view you get to look at the uh, the great Adirondack Mountains across the, the lake, Lake Champlain. And um, and a big part of who we are is also uh, connecting with local artists and musicians as well. So it's a, it creates a pretty cool vibe down here and people can really get behind um, the beer and, and the story of sourcing those adjuncts and hops and everything that go into it. Um, and, like Julian said, we've known each other for quite a while now. Uh, we we met. I I was actually just talking about this today, Julian. I think it must have been probably eight years ago. Yeah, that, yeah, twenty fourteen maybe, Julian. If that sounds yeah. about right. That, when we that we, sounds... we were we were at Tech at the time. 
Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, we, we've just developed that relationship and, um, I think it's been, it's been great, uh, getting to know even better. And, and, um, I feel like that the relationship that we have is very similar to a lot of the other relationships that we've cultivated now. And it's, it's just a very casual, comfortable, um, situation where we can go back and forth and exchange ideas and, um, thoughts and like you said, grow together and create together. And, uh, it's definitely a unique experience. And I don't think that by any means every brewer gets to have that experience. And, um, our goal is to really just try to tell that story and, uh, explain, you know, where the inspiration come from, came from and, you know, where, um, where the beer scene is going and can go, uh, utilizing all that stuff that is available to us. And, um, uh, maybe Sam, if you want to talk about some of the beers that we've we've done, if uh, Let, let's hold off on that for a second. Let, let's now let's go a step back. So, um, Julian and you guys, let's talk about Vermont Ag. Let's let's just tell more about how Vermont Ag has influenced what you guys are doing now. Sure. Yes. So, you know, Vermont traditionally has been a dairy state. Uh, so, milk and maple syrup, I guess, would be the other. You know a big historical crop for us. And, um, and then, and then the secondary product of, of milk is cheese. And we have, uh, many excellent artisan cheeses. Um, and so really that's, you know, but that's dairy. Um, and for some part, maple syrup have really been the dominant kind of agricultural commodities that, that Vermont has produced, um, as you know, dairy, it really all farms have gotten bigger and bigger and more consolidated. Um, the dairy industry has shrunk in Vermont. And so it's become more of a mix of, uh, you know, organic vegetable producers and, and people who are looking at, you know, people who maybe did um, milk cows previously who are looking for new crops, innovative ways to to keep their their farms going that's great so so sam yeah tell us um what, what beers you guys have made with uh either single hops or other vermont hops yeah um I, there's probably you know more too many beers for me to to just uh remember off the top of my head but we've we've certainly done um a number of beers just with champlain valley hops um even in in the last uh couple of years but it uh it all kind of started with a beer called Local Dork, um, and that goes all the way back to um, 2016 in the, in the first year we were open, uh, where we we had these two guys who are these two uh, just kind of uh, awesome musicians uh, up here, um, Matt Hagen and Bob Wagner, um, and they they both kind of go off and do their, their own respective projects in music um, in and around Burlington and Vermont. Uh, but they come together uh, as as two people to form um, a DJ group at, that they call Local Dork. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's awesome. And they and it's it's all just kind of spinning vinyl, um, and they kind of have a live microphone, and it you know can kind of turn into you know playing games with you know w- wherever they are and kind of who's in, in the room that they're in. Um, very interactive. It's, it's certainly very interactive, and it's just a fun thing. But. Um, so going back to 2016, we kind of, um, d- discovered these guys and they would do every Tuesday night at the brewery, um, they would do a, a DJ set and spin vinyl. Um, and I think 
I want to say we were we were running a food special at the time, maybe one of those nights. We, we were, were doing, also doing um, we were we were doing special can releases for uh, the community because we would typically do can releases on Friday and Saturday, and a lot of people in town couldn't come to them for different reasons. So we started getting a lot of feedback saying, "Can you guys do? Can you reserve some cans for the community to for people to come down and uh, purchase on Tuesday?" And it just made more sense for some of those people. So we right. started doing that. And that's why Local Dork made sense. They would come in and DJ during that can right. release. So that's where it kind of started. Yeah, so it all started there. And, and it did start. That beer did kind of, well, we you know got kind of just going all the way back that uh, we kind of decided to do a beer just called Local Dork and name it after you know the name of, of the DJs. Um, but and that beer kind of utilized you know Peterson Quality Malt, um, you know local local Vermont grain, um, and Homestead hops and Homestead hops originally, which is no longer existent. Um, but that kind of developed over a couple of years, and now that we've been canning for uh, about three years, um, last summer we decided to kind of scale the draft only version of of Local Dork up to a beer that would be available in cans for people. Um, and we've done, I believe we've done three of them. Each one has been different. So again, we've done one with, with Peterson quality malt and then actually, so we've done four because we've done two, uh, with Champlain Valley hops. And we also did one with Whitefield hops, um, also, uh, Vermont hop farm. Um, but those have kind of been the, at least for, for cans and, and kind of, uh, awesome way to, to get this local dork beer or just local beer in general, um, to more people other than people that are just coming into the brew pub. Um, that was kind of the idea for that beer. And um, as Julian and Max can kind of tell you, you know, the, one of the coolest beers we did last September was they basically, in, right in the middle of their harvest, were able to, um, as they were harvesting Centennial, uh, load up a, a truck full and bring it, you know, three miles down the road to our production facility and, and basically dump, you know, 300, 400 pounds of fresh cones into our louder ton. Um, for the brew that day, which became um, a wet hop, you know, wet hot double IPA, um, which was local dork. Yeah, with that volume of hops, we utilized the the mash louder ton as essentially as a large hop back. So after the boil, we would run that wort uh, back into the louder ton to soak up the, all the goodness on the cones uh, before we cast it out into the fermenter. And it, man, the aroma of that is just always so epically awesome. And we've done we've done a lot of those wet hop beers over the past several few years that we've been open uh, doing, uh, you know, every fall. People start looking forward to it. Now it's harvest season or one of the wet hop beers going to come around and we always deem those the local dorks. So it's it is kind of a changing thing. It, it's something that isn't always the same hop combination or the same brew necessarily. But we do that with several different uh, variations of different cans and stuff as well, where uh, there's one like headline name, and then there's different variants that fall under that. And local dark is one of the cooler ones, in my opinion, especially right. utilizing the amount of local hops that we're using. That's yeah. crazy, and, and it even does turn into its own its own draft only versions as well. Um, so you know, while we were kind of doing the stuff for cans in in Hinesburg, Vermont, um, you know, Bob, Bob, and um, the other brewer here, Josh, were doing um, smaller batches on the seven barrel system. But just the exact same way in that, you know, hops, at least for the wet hop stuff, were, were being harvested that day and, and being brought down to the brewery within a matter of, you know, an hour. Yeah. And one one last thing to say on that, too, is uh, just going back to people coming into foam and enjoying the vibe and, and the experience. 
uh, while drinking the beer. It's always a special moment when people come in when we're doing those wet hop beers because that, like I said, that aromatic quality is really unmatched and people just love to be, you know, consumed by that. It's like you're walking into essentially a sauna at that point with uh, right. like steamy hop aroma all around. And it's it's a pretty unique experience, especially for people that have never really smelled that like and fresh hops are so vibrant and have such a fresh, like green citrusy, you know, piney aroma. Uh, it's, it's a really unique moment in time. So what, what time of year then should I visit you in Burlington for that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, Julian, when, uh, when you start in harvest this year? Yeah. So Centennial will be, uh, start around August 10th and go for two or three weeks. But the, the whole harvest goes basically early August. The bulk of those beers, like all the, the wet hop beers are, it's a very short time period. And that's what makes them so special because it's just in those, you know, the, the few weeks, the pick windows uh, for those hops. And once they're once they're ready in the field, we, we plan to be nimble over here and uh, plan for the brew and get it scheduled up and, and do it. So Man, that, that's that's worth the trip. I'll tell you. Hey, let's go back to Julian. So this. Talk about as, you know, Champagne Valley hops, and, and Max, please join in too. Just talk about, we kind of understand how hops have to grow. It takes a number of years and all this, but more about the market. How, first, how did, did were you able to, you know, get people into your hops? Um, and how are brewers able to switch from, like, using pellets to whole cones and other things? Let, let, let's go into that that phase of your story. It's like you guys are open, you're growing hops, you know, some customer interactions. How about that? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say um, that Foam obviously has been an early adapter of our hops and they're very creative and they're, they're great at coming up with new recipes. Um, and a lot of brewers um, also um, want to trial um, new recipes with our hops. A lot of usually it's not a substitution. So it's not like we're going to take this beer that, you know, everyone loves and, and swap out, you know, the cascade they usually use for ours. Yeah, it's a lot more of developing new recipes to highlight local hops um, and really pass on that information to their customers who are excited about using local ingredients. Um, we've had a ton of, of positive support from the community um, we've done a lot of events where we've gotten people to come out to the farm, brewers to come out to the farm, um, especially those that haven't been to a commercial hop farm of this size before. It's kind of like a wow moment um, when they come out here in late June, July and August um, and see, you know, the hop yard completely full. It's like a it's almost like a jungle. Um, and that really gets them excited and really gets them wanting to use our products. I'll tell you, about 11 years ago, I was in uh, the south of, of Netherlands, and right at the N Netherlands and, and Belgium border, there was, there was a big hop field, and uh, it was like covered hills and hills, and I had that moment, and it was really inspiring. Um, oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. But then, like, as, as brewers, but I want more from Julian. You, 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 tell us who you are, man. Are you a scientist? You know, how did you train for this? Because um, hops are pretty – pretty sophisticated aren't they there there is a lot to learn and and because it's such a small industry uh you can't just google something there's really you know there's a these small pockets of people who who have been growing hops for generations 
And, and so there's, you got your pocket in the Pacific Northwest in the U S and then you've got, uh, your German and Czech growers in Europe. And so the, the research background has been incredibly important for me. Um, and at the same time, all of the, the networking that I did while I was a researcher has been, uh, has really paid off just as much or more because really this is, um, you know, being able to call someone up and say, I don't understand this, or we're, we need to tweak um, this aspect for like our dryer, you know, we're having issues with our dryer. Um, we want to condition our hops better. Um, I've got a, a Rolodex of, of 20 different growers who I, who I send text messages to, to figure this stuff out. And that's, that's been incredibly valuable for us. That is really cool, man. The whole thing about is, is, how, how do you define like Vermont terroir and generally what, what are you finding about some of the t- typical hop varieties that, that are you're growing in Vermont compared to other parts of the country? Yeah. So I think I'll, I will let Max talk about the, some of the uh, sensory characteristics that we're learning about from each variety. I'll just say that uh, from the farmer's perspective that there are, you know, there are so many factors that influence how a hop grows, um, the soil type, the, the climate. So like, you know, how wet the region is, um, the, the latitude is a, is a huge thing for hops. So, and that's maybe worth describing a little bit. Basically, um, hops grow incredibly fast. They can grow up to 12 inches a day. Um, and they need to, because, um, because they need to grow up this 18 foot tall trellis, um, in order to get, you know, all that, all that length of the vine, which all the hops grow on. And so in order to put on that much growth in the short summer season, they grow best in areas where you have the most daylight possible, basically kind of the most daylight without being super cold. Right. So at our latitude, which is 44 degrees, we've got a 15 and a half hour day at the peak of summer and that they can put on so much growth during that period. And that's the same in Germany where they grow the hops and that's the same in the Yakima Valley. Um, so anyway, you've got all these different things that are influencing how a hop smells and tastes. And, and we're just starting to put some kind of numbers and sensory notes to that. And Max will do a better job of describing kind of what we're learning so far and and also the project that we've got going on now to learn more about that and put more specific vocabulary to it. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that people uh, evaluate um, hops. The most common is probably rubbings where people take a hot pellet or a dried cone or even a wet cone and kind of massage it into their palm of their hand and then smell and then come up with certain aroma notes that they would hope um, would have would show up in their finished beer. Um, The one thing um, that complicates that is that brewing adds a lot of heat and fermentation to the process and that actually changes a lot of the aromas and flavors of these hops. So the best way to evaluate um, what a hop is going to add to a beer is by actually brewing with it. Um, to complicate that again, a lot of beers are usually brewed with multiple hop varieties. So what we have done is through the Vermont Hop Project, 
Um, we've gotten 12 brewers on board to brew a total of 32 single hopped or mostly single hop beers, each one highlighting one of our main varieties. Um, and through this project, we're hoping to learn a lot more about what these individual varieties add um, to beers and how they differ from the same varieties grown from their conventional producers, usually in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so the results, we're still getting results um, in now. The project started in March uh, and we'll go through the end of May. Um, but we've learned a lot. Um, I, I can talk through um, a few of those notes. Like, for instance, our cascade has shown to have a lot more floral and orange blossom characteristics um, than most other cascades that people are used to brewing with. Um, our Chinook um, is a lot more ripe pineapple um, and bright tropical fruit characteristics rather than the piney characteristics that are usually common from Chinook from the Pacific Northwest. Um, our Magnum, um, which is typically used as a bittering hop, um, and Foam actually just made a, a great beer with it for the project, um, has had a lot of fruity characteristics um, and a, a great fruity aroma and we think could be used um, in a lot more ways other than just for bittering. Um, so those are just a few. Our, our crystal ha has a ton of grapefruit and cedar and pine characteristics and is very bright. Um, so we're, we're hoping to learn a lot through these um, 32 beers and we're asking all of the brewers um, involved in the project to fill out a survey um, to help give us feedback, to help better um, explain these hops um, to other brewers. And hopefully that information will benefit the industry as a whole. Wow, that's a really great start. We're going to take a short break and be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com HRN. We all know that food businesses like yours are the backbone of your community. You make your neighborhood a more delicious place to be, and your customers are hungry for more. Food businesses across the country are working with Honeycomb to open new locations, buy equipment, and grow. You too can unlock fair growth capital by allowing your community to invest directly into your business. A crowdfunded loan from Honeycomb deepens your customer relationships and gives them a whole new way to engage with your business. You'll also get access to thousands of local investors in the Honeycomb network who are passionate about seeing food businesses succeed. Honeycomb is the community bank of the 21st century. Fair rates, flexible terms, and no prepayment penalties. Honeycomb has proven to be an invaluable growth tool for all kinds of businesses, from James Beard-nominated restaurants and upstart food trucks to organic farms and award-winning breweries. Best of all, with Honeycomb, you're paying back your neighbors, not big banks. To learn more about how Honeycomb Credit can help grow your business while building vibrant, financially empowered neighborhoods, visit honeycombcredit.com HRN. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's that time of year. Check us out and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking about Vermont hops with Champlain Valley hops and foam brewers. Um, let's go to the brewers now, um, Bob and Sam at Foam Brewers. So we were talking about, 
using new hops or even perhaps single variety hops in a beer. How do you approach that as brewers? How do you modify your recipes, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, um, see, I just, just to touch on what Max said, I think that's a good intro into this question here. Um, when talking about all the different uh, varietals, cultivars of hops that these guys are growing, you know, it's the Cascade, Chinook, all the stuff that was just discussed. Um, I think people have like a predetermined idea of what the flavor profile should be, right? Like the aroma and taste. And that's because there's these massive farms out West that are producing large scale, you know, ag operation hops. And those are uh, pretty consistently um, the same. And a lot of those, like, like Max said, like Chinook is very, is known to be very piney. Uh, Cascade is classically grapefruit forward, you know, but the hops that are grown in Vermont are noticeably different. And I, I think that that is something that really should be noted uh, for brewers that want to brew with this stuff. And I think that it, it, a lot of it is trial and error. A lot of it is experience. And, uh, you know, you could do the rub. You could do all the sensory evaluation of a hop in the field, whether it's, you know, fresh or dried, pelletized. And that's part of the challenge, I guess, uh, and learning curve of a brewer is to understand those aromas, uh, in, you know, in just its regular form and it's, um, you know, young form, I guess, before it goes into a beer a raw form, I should say. And, and you get an idea of what the hop is all about in that rub. But like Max said, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, uh, beyond the, beyond the pelletizing, that changes the quality or not the quality, but the character that you might be smelling originally, uh, when it's in a finished beer. And it, it has to do with, uh, the temperature of the boil, whether you're adding it in the beginning of the, you know, for bittering or whatever, uh, if you're doing a whirlpool and there's just so many steps throughout the way. So, you know, we've been experimenting a lot with, uh, different processes to really nail down what works for us whether it's local hops or not, but we've in particular been really focusing on utilizing as much local hops as we possibly can in the beer. And uh, we actually redesigned, I guess, or added, you sh I should say, uh, a piece in the process in our brewing down here uh, at Foam, uh, at, the, at the original location here. And um, what we did was we added a line off the heat exchanger going back into the whirlpool arm on our kettle. And that way we, uh, when we do our big whirlpool additions, we can run it through the heat exchanger and cool the wort in the kettle down to about 180 degrees and 180 degrees is the magical number because that's where, um, isomerization does not occur anymore. So, uh, for those of you that don't know what isomerization is, that's, uh, the changing configuration of the molecule, the bittering component of hops, uh, and, it's the alpha acids that then convert into bittering, bittering compounds um, that are soluble in water or beer, whatever. And uh, so when you, we drop the temperature down in the kettle to 180 degrees or slightly below that, um, basically we're inhibiting any more bittering from the hops and we're just really extracting all of the amazingness of what the hop is, you know, the aroma and taste and uh, trying to, pull all of that out 
because we have the bitter part under control. Uh, we, we have our bittering hops already added at that point. So we have a predetermined BU number in mind for whatever beer we're brewing. And then we're really just trying to get like all of those, those oils and um, amazing aroma compounds out. So we've been doing, we've been doing that with a, pretty much every hoppy beer that we do here uh, includes um, Champlain Valley hops and uh, also Whitefield hops. Um, but Champlain Valley is a much larger hop farm and we get a lot of hops from them too. So uh, we've, we just have been really working toward incorporating that into pretty much every hoppy beer that we possibly can. And the end result is pretty fantastic. It's uh, it's we're getting, like Max said, we're getting pineapple, citrus, um, you know, all the sexy hop aromas that you might find from West Coast hops or, you know, Australian, New Zealand hops that are uh, notoriously amazing. And we're getting that from hops that are grown here. And it's it's a really cool thing to really, you know, brew beer regularly and change it up and try different hop combinations or even single hop uh, beers and really like start pulling out notes that are not expected from these uh, cultivars of hops. And um, like I said, too, like telling that story and explaining that to people and getting them behind that is is a pretty I'm sure uh, I'm sure people aren't always um, they don't know what to expect. And so when they taste something that says that it's with local hops or whatever, I think, you know, people probably are like, what's this all about? And then they taste the beer and they're like, wow, this is actually pretty awesome. It's tropical or, you know, citrus forward. And uh, I mean, I see it because I'm, I'm down here brewing every day and people are in the brewery when we're here brewing and you can see them drinking the beer and get excited about it. And it's a, it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool thing. And having that connection and uh, to to the farm and to the people and being the intermediate factor of actually making the beer. Um, it's it's pretty uh, it's a pretty awesome job. Let, let's take a step back more about hops. So for each of you, think of a I wouldn't, I don't, let's say a more well-known or, or, or more available beer that represents a hop to you. Like, is there a beer you think of for Cascade? Not from Vermont, but somewhere else. Is there a, you know, for example, anybody want to go, go there? <laughs> well, I mean, that's an interesting question because kind of to, just to touch on what Bob was saying about kind of this, this awesomeness and this terroir of Vermont grown hops is, is the fact that we also do brew, do we brew a lot with, with um, a lot of the same cultivars from the West Coast um, grown out in Yakima. So say Centennial, Chinook. Uh, Cascade, Nugget, um, things like that. Um, but do you know we're brewing almost every day in both locations, um, and to be able to compare, say, a, a Centennial um, grown out in in Yakima versus Centennial that's grown in um, Starksboro, Vermont, you know they're just completely different beasts, um, almost to the point where it's it's hard to even say that it's it's the same um, cultivar of hop. Uh, but it's just this really interesting thing where, um, being able to brew with both or, or like, so I think to, to what you're asking is say, you know, I, like the classic beer, um, that kind of comes to mind would be, um, Sierra Nevada pale ale, which is just kind of a classic for, for everyone. And, um, kind of almost like a, a awesome, 
you know, gateway beer into, into drinking craft beer and discovering what is hoppy, what is bitterness, um, you know, what does that mean? What does that taste like? What does that smell like? Um, and then to say, compare that to a uh, uh, pale ale that we might do at foam with um, Vermont grown Centennial. Um, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, a world of a difference. Um, and not to say it's any better or worse, um, just completely different. Um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating for sure. No, that's cool. It's, 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 there've been so many projects done with single hops and, uh, I really wish I could come and try, try all of those with you guys. Julian, how is that going? So who is responsible for interacting with the breweries? I keep going back to this, but I always like to hear about the mechanics interacting with the breweries for this, this hop project. Is this through sales? Is, is this separate from sales? This is this is Max's baby. <laughs> this is me talking to brewers. Um, so it's I mean, what we try to do, um, which which we try to differentiate ourselves from some of the bigger farms is have close relationships with brewers. So this is this is me talking to people, texting, emailing, visiting breweries on a regular basis, um, both for the planning stages um, of this project and, you know, hearing how the brewing went and, you know, how, how they're going to go about brewing their next beer for the project since most brewers are brewing about three beers. Um, so I get, I get updates on a regular basis. So Max, just tell me about one that you've recently interacted with. Just some anecdotes. Um, yeah. So the, I'll tell you about, so the rock art, um, did a centennial beer that I really loved, um, that they actually put all of, they only dry hopped, the beer. Um, and I thought it was the best characteristic of Centennial that I have had with a very lemon lime um, characteristic, very, very little bitterness, very easy drinking, but incredibly refreshing. Um, and those guys are extremely excited um, to, to do a single hopped beer because they don't usually do that. And they might want to continue to produce that throughout the year. That's great. So someone has, I, I, I want to get more out of Julian. So somebody, let's ask a couple questions of Julian that, that you guys want to ask him. Uh, Julian, I got a question for you. Yeah. What uh, new cultivars are you planting this year? Good question. Great question. Yeah, so we planted one new cultivar last year. Uh, it's called Triumph, and that's a new uh, public variety. So in, in hops, we have public varieties which are available for anyone to grow and there's also private varieties that are developed by private farms um so that would be like classically like citra mosaic um galaxy if uh if you were looking for like a, a new zealand hop um and the public uh breeding program used to be much more prominent and so that's where you got uh varieties like cascade um, that have, you know, shaped kind of the, um, the craft brewing movement so much. Um, but it kind of dropped off in, as these, uh, as these private companies, uh, became more prominent in, in developing hops, um, now, and I think largely, uh, from brewer demand too, um, uh, we've, we've both, both brewers and growers have asked for more public support for breeding programs and so one of the the more recent hops that's come out that um is supposed to be excellent for 
uh, you know, for brewing like a hazy IPA is this, this uh, hop called Triumph. So we're super excited to, to harvest some Triumph this year. The other variety that, that we're going to plant this year, and I don't actually know if I told uh, you guys this, Bob and Sam, um, but we did secure some Comet that we're going to put in the yard um, as, a, as a trial. And these guys specifically asked us to grow Comet. Um, so I know they're going to be excited about that, um, partly because they often use, and, and maybe, maybe you want to go into more detail, but they often use Comet um, as a as a replacement or a um, kind of a similar hop to Citra. Yeah, Max told me that you guys are growing that. I'm pretty excited about that personally. So, what what kind of beer would you would you make with the Comet? Uh, I mean, really any of the real any of the IPAs that we do, um, anything like that in that vein, Comet would be a great hop in because we uh, you know the we do a lot of different types of beer just in general, a lot of different types of hoppy beer. Um, and I would say the majority of the hoppy beer that we do, uh, the, the overwhelming characteristic is probably citrus tropical. Um, and so Comet really fits right into the portfolio of hoppy beers that we do. And, um, yeah, like Julian said, anything that has citra in it, which is a lot of the beer built to spill is citra galaxy. Um, pavement is citra mosaic, uh, we have Youth Lagoon, which is all Citra. Um, but I mean, they, the list goes on and on. But there's, you know, we, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to develop a whole new brand around this, this and highlight the fact that it is Comet uh, and get people to know that it's that something that is equivalent to Citra and who knows, maybe even better um, grown here with the terroir uh, that that's something that's available to brewers in the state, uh, grown in the state. And that is a pretty cool thing. So, uh, and this, this triumph hop as well is going to be pretty exciting. Uh, any, anything like new that's being grown in Vermont is pretty cool because we've, you know, we were familiar with the Cascades and Chinooks and all that stuff. So anything that we can get our hands on that is, um, different and grown here, that's not usually grown here. That's pretty cool. Great. It's pretty exciting. Comet also has a pretty interesting history because the, you know, the, the kind of hops that brewers have been looking for has changed so drastically over the past 20 years. And so, you know, at the time that that Comet was first released, uh, it basically wasn't really what people wanted. You know, the, I think the brewing industry was much more just kind of lager focused and, and craft brewing, you know, hadn't really taken off like it has now. And and so the some of these varieties, Comet and Cashmere is another one um, that are becoming more popular now are actually these older varieties that were just kind of like way ahead of their time. And people are now rediscovering them and and finding that they work super well in the popular beers of of today hmm. so julian well now we can go back to hops um how long does it take you guys to to you know make a producible amount of a certain hop and just tell us a little bit about the you know the, the science of hops and growing it sure so hops are perennial meaning they come back every year like a you know, like on a vineyard or an apple orchard. 
and uh, it takes a while for them to get established and reach maturity. So a mature hop plant is three years old or more. And so it takes, you know, from when you first put them in the ground, you have a waiting period um, of caring for them and, and allowing them to build a root mass underground um, and really get the energy to put out lots of, of hops. Um, and so in within one season, um, the hops generally come up like now, like literally on Friday, there were little tiny purple buds just peeking out of the soil. Uh, and today, uh, which is, you know, so four or five days later, they're like six inches tall. Um, and so basically, as soon as it gets warm, they are just ready to go. And they'll reach the top of the trellis, 18 feet tall, at the summer solstice, so like end of June. Um, and and then from that point on, they're basically bushing out, starting to to, uh, to create the flowers, which are the hop cones. And, um, and then by early to mid-August, we start harvesting. Uh, the early varieties and the the harvest goes through the end of September. So, so you're saying that possibly the best hops are in the areas like yours where there's the longest day. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it also depends on the variety. So, so some varieties such as Centennial are known to like even a you know the longest day possible. Um, so that's you know maybe toward even toward like 50 degrees um, of latitude. Um, you know, and some varieties may be better suited to a, a lower latitude. So, you know, like low forties, and then you've got kind of the middle, which is where, um, you know, most of the, most of the yards are. So it's really interesting to see, you know, both which ones do well, but also, uh, what characteristics you might get even from growing that same variety at a different latitude. And like I said before, we're at, we're at 44. So we're kind of in the middle of that. And then in, in your terroir, so besides the longest day, the, um, what about soil drainage? Uh, is is the soil sure. and everything different in Vermont than out west? Is that part of why things taste different? It is. And, and it's also different, like from, you know, one side of the town to the other, to be honest. <laughs> so we actually um, were in this really cool geological spot. Um, where basically when the, the glacier was melting, um, the area that we're in is this corridor that's kind of, um, flanked by two, uh, very small mountain ranges. And so the water was channeled through this area and it was moving pretty rapidly. And so the sediments that fell out of that water was only the, the heaviest stuff, which is like the sand and gravel. And, um, and then when the water got out towards the plains and uh, it started moving a lot slower, it dropped out all the clay. And so we've got, um, you know, down towards the lake, like where the foam brewery is, is predominantly clay. And up in Starksboro here, which is only a half hour drive away, uh, our soils are very sandy. And we actually have a sand and gravel pit, uh, like a mile up the road, you know, where you can go get, fill up your pickup truck with a load of gravel if you want. Um, and so, we picked this spot specifically because of the sand, uh, because for hops, it's it's very important to have good drainage so that the um, so that we can create uh, an environment that is not conducive to fungal infection. 
So basically there are fungal diseases that love cool, damp conditions. And, and that's our number one pest that we, that we um, avoid at all costs and fight at all costs um, because it can really you know, damage a crop. And so finding those sandy soils was um, uh, just a huge opportunity for us to be able to start on a really, um, you know, at a really good place in, in, in making these plants healthy. Um, that said, hops also use a ton of water. And so while we want the water to drain away really fast so that the kind of surface is dry, um, we also have to bring the water back so that the hops can, uh, you know, have as much water as they need to grow. And so we've got the other great feature of our property is we've got a creek running through it. Um, and so we have, we use drip irrigation that puts the water right to the, the plant roots. And that comes right out of our, of our Creek. Well, now I get to ask you about yourself. So what is your typical day like, or you could just tell me what you did yesterday or today besides picking up granite or gravel from the, <laughs> the quarry. Sure. Yeah. It, it always starts with a, with a team meeting. So we, we like to keep the meetings pretty short in the morning, but, um, it's always good to start the day. And when I, when I say team, I mean our farm, our field team. Um, and so everyone's got, got their projects for the day and our, our season is very segmented. So it's kind of like, we have these big projects that go for a month or six weeks. And, and so one part of the season looks very different from the next part of the season. Right now we're getting ready for stringing. Uh, which is one of our biggest projects. And so we're just doing a lot of odd odd jobs. We're fixing irrigation. Um, we are are modifying tools that we can use for cultivating the the hops. Um, and and we're getting the trellising ready, cutting down old strings that were hanging from the, the trellis to make sure that it's nice and clean so we can start tying strings next week. Wow. And your title is your farm manager, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. And I got a little distracted, but so I'll start the day with the, with our team meeting. And then typically after that, um, I'll go up to the field, take a look at the hops, um, at, on, on Tuesdays and today's a Tuesday, I have a sales meeting with max at 10. Um, so we're kind of on sales. Um, and then, uh, again, this time of year, it's a lot of prep preparation. And so, uh, coordinating deliveries of a lot of raw materials, irrigation supplies, fertilizer, that kind of stuff. Wow. And then Max, so, so like what, what is your sales meeting with, with Julian? Like what, what kind of information are you exchanging? <laughs> oh, we're talking about obviously sales for the week, um, new customers that were added, um, strategy and leads, um, brewery updates, um, beer releases with our hops, um, plans for our social media presence that week, um, different marketing activities. Cause I do marketing as well. Um, we're working currently working with a marketing team to redo our website and create an online store. So trying to figure out a bunch of shipping issues We're right now I'm, I'm battling, uh, to try to get a, a hop shipment over to a brewery in Quebec. And I've realized that, especially in the COVID area era, uh, that's a little bit more difficult than it originally had sounded. Um, so a lot of behind the scenes, administrative, logistical 
things. Um, taking a lot of notes on all of the interactions I have with brewers, um, so that I can, you know, who I need to follow up with. Uh, and then lots of phone calls, lots of texting, lots of emails. Um, and a couple days a week, usually I'll, I'll do site visits and visit breweries, talk to brewers, bring them hops, pick up beer, stuff like that. So you're, you're a New York boy, you're up in Burlington. So I'm, I'm sure, you, I know you're all work. So when you go to visit, tell me a brewery that you visit other than foam <laughs> that you like to have a beer at and what beer do you might've had recently? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was at Black Flannel recently. Um, I was, you know, had a beer that they had made for the Vermont Hop Project that used our Magnum. Um, and it was actually the first single hopped Magnum beer I'd ever had. So it was kind of like a eureka moment um, to really uh, rediscover this hop and really um, hear from, from the brewer and, and their staff what they thought about it and you know, I can use that information in, in future sales and also feels good to, to know people really like our products. Yeah. Now back to foam. Um, so you guys, uh, you know, it's Bob and Sam, Bob Grimm. Yes, sir. And Sam Keen. <laughs> That's awesome. I love those names. So uh, we're having a lot of fun here. And um, so when, when foam started, I just want to hear a quick evolution of your actual brewing, you know, from when it started to having this production brewery, and what you guys have learned and, and you know, uh, just a little bit of shop talk. Who wants it? I'll go. You go ahead. Sure. And say, and say your name, too, because I'm getting confused. <laughs> okay. This is this is Sam now. Okay. Sam Keen. Sam Keen. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, we – well, um, as you probably learned from the bios, but we – you know, we, Bob and, and myself both kind of started our brewing careers at, at Switchback Brewing Company, which is down the road. Also in Burlington, um, Vermont. But um, as we are talking about foam, we uh, we had we had each kind of came into foam with different aspects of brewing experience. Um, Bob had kind of been doing um, you know a pilot system or experimental system, whereas I had been kind of brewing the same thing every day. Uh, totally different brew house, but kind of compiling that experience and 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 dropping that into foam with our other partner um, Todd Hare, who would has been brewing for uh, decades at this point um, and is, is currently our brewmaster. Um, we found the spot at the waterfront and uh, we're just ecstatic to, to know that we had kind of secured a lease um, and had a space that we could call our brewery. Um, and it was just so funny early on because we, we actually did the, the demo of the space ourselves. Um, and, and that was including our other partners, John, farmer and Danny Casey. Um, and we would basically just kind of do demo through, through kind of the day. Um, and, and at that time, I mean, you know, people were, were also doing different things during the day, but we would basically kind of fire up the brew house at night. And that was how we filled our first, what, four, five fermenters. Yeah. It was either four. three or four. We started by the, way, with the first hop four. delivery that I made to these guys was like full demolition zone. At night, I think yeah. there was like pretty poor oh, yeah. lighting. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, no lighting, and uh, I think he brought it in like a big like contractor bag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, and that's just kind of the way it went as we were gearing up for our our opening, which which was um, April 2016. Um, so we are coming up on five years. It's it's insane that it's it's been that long. Um, looking back at it now, but. But that's kind of the way it was. We were we were kind of doing demo and and build out of the space um, 
from, you know, 7, 8 a.m. up until 4 or 5 p.m. And then um, as kind of other tenants in the building would clear out around 5 p.m., we would start firing up the brew house um, and just kind of brew through the night with, you know, just little construction lights here and there uh, while the dust settled around us. And um, and that's kind of where the first um, few brands of, of foam brewers beer was born. I'm going to leave it at um, that because that, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm really getting a sense of this Burlington community. I'd, I'd never been there. I didn't realize how special it was sitting on the banks of that lake, Lake Champlain. I, I want to ask the last question of the Champlain Valley Hops guys. Um, maybe, Julian, since you're a farmer and Max, because you're in sales, as many of us know from history, you know, the rise and fall of, of farms and agriculture can be quite scary. You know, a bad storm. There, there's things that you guys have to deal with that, you know, a, a steel factory doesn't have to. Um, what's your projection for the next couple of years? You know, you guys are the largest hop farm in the, in New England, but you're still very tiny. Where, where is this going and what, what do you fear? Like this, let's put it out there. What, what's your biggest fear right now as a very small hop grower? Yeah, good. That's a good question. That really cuts to the core. I, I, I think I'll, I'll start by saying that because we, you know, farms are subject to the kind of risk that you're talking about. And largely you can attribute that to the weather, right? Um, although farms are also subject to rising and falling commodity prices, which can be just as destructive as the weather. Um, but you know, being, uh, having a business, uh, that is so tied to something that you have no control over, I think actually teaches you a lot of really great lessons about, you know, just being able to roll with the punches. And so I think in general, um, we're pretty good at that. COVID has been a real sucker punch for sure. Uh, you know, really, for the brewers and then us and in a secondary sense to us um, because what affects them affects us. And um, so I'd say what's keeping me up at night is, um, is worrying when the people are going to come back to the bar uh, and come back to the brew pub. Um, and I hope it's soon. <laughs> That's great, man. I, and talking to you guys, I almost forgot of the stupid pandemic anyway. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for bringing it home, brother. Um, yeah. And that's why we're doing this remotely instead of me being up there, or you guys being in our studio in Brooklyn. And Max, um, thanks for putting the show together, brother. Anything else you want to say before we close out? Yeah, well, thank you for having us. You know, it's awesome to do this. You know, we, we're so appreciative of, of foam and, and the relationship that we've built together. And, we're really excited to uh, help build the commercial um, New England hop industry together and help them continue to make fantastic beer. That's great, man. Thank you, guys. I mean, feeling is definitely mutual. Hundred percent, hundred percent. We're we're looking forward to we're looking forward to the harvest. All right, that's when we want to be up there. Hop harvest up in near Burlington. Thank you, guys, so much. I'm going to thank uh, to Bob, Sam, Julian, and Max for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to our engineer, Armin Spingen, and our producing intern, Caroline Fox. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.